Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hi, it's Mike. It's Saturday, and this is a Saturday show. You might hear I have with me an associate. That is the purring of my cat, Layla. Thanksgiving weekend is a time for family. So it's not that I included Layla, it's that she wouldn't allow herself to be unincluded. Today I bring you best of the past week, best of forever. And so we will play a 2015 commentary, I call it a spiel, about uncles, Thanksgiving uncles. Still holds up, they say. That's still a trope. But first, we will play a segment from Not Even Mad. It is a beloved, oh yes, Layla, you're meowing? It is a beloved cancel court segment. The subject, the public health official, Lena Wen. Enjoy both of those on this, the post-Thanksgiving Saturday. I'm here to tell you about one of the most attractive automobiles you're ever going to lay your eyes on. And it's not just how good it looks, it's everything that can do. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior, which won me over, is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing. The interior is built with integrity, using the most robust of materials. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. The Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Cargo capacity means you got room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to do what you do via your intellect, via your passions in life. It is to explore with greater confidence. Ready for a wide range of adventures? The Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, the Defender 130 that seats up to eight. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Oyves, oyves, cancel court is in session. Justices Kerchik, Heffernan, and Pesca presiding. All those who have been canceled might have been canceled or stand for the proposition that no one is ever canceled, it's all a myth, are admonished to draw near and give their attention. The American Public Health Association national meeting, the biggest of its kind, was held in Boston earlier this month, and attendees there were not able to hear from this woman. There was a and is a time and place for pandemic restrictions, but when they were put in, it was always with the understanding that they would be removed as soon as we can. And in this case, circumstances have changed. Case counts are declining. Also, the science has changed. We know that vaccines protect very well against Omicron, which is the dominant variant. Everyone five and older have widespread access to vaccines. And we also know about one-way masking, the idea that even if other people around you are not wearing masks. If you wear a high quality mask, that also protects you, the wearer, too. 
That talking on CNN was Dr. Lena Wen, research professor of health policy and management at George Washington University, who previously served as the health commissioner for Baltimore. Wen was to appear on a panel about the backlash against public health, but then experienced a backlash against Lena Wen. Hundreds of, quote, practitioners, educators, students, advocates, and allies demanded that the APHA disinvite Wen for relaxing mandates when the evidence demanded it, as she explained in that clip. Wen was also called out, quote, through her platform on news outlets and social media, Dr. Wen has promoted unscientific, unsafe, ableist, fatphobic, and unethical practices during the COVID-19 pandemic. The APHA did not disinvite Wen. It stood by her. It supported her scholarship. But after a man was convicted of threatening Wen's life over her support of mandates and vaccines, she began to get new threats and wrote on Twitter, I have been made aware that attending the APHA conference will put me at personal risk. Respectfully and regretfully, I must decline the invitation. She did not speak at that conference. So Jamie, I ask you, you add it all up. Does this mean that Lena Wen was canceled? It seems to me that she was not technically canceled in the, in the sense that she chose voluntarily not to speak. Uh, but the spirit of cancellation is very much in the air here. She, uh, if, if there's any realm of human endeavor in which open debate, uh, the, the airing of different views um, should exist, it is public health. Uh, it is the, the health of the public is at stake. We need the scientific method. We need people expressing their views, sharing data. Um, the views that, that Dr. Wen was expressing, by the way, are the views of the CDC. She's not expressing some kind of you know, far-right, anti-vax, anti, anti-masking opinion. In fact, the irony here is that she herself was something of a COVID hawk at the outset of the pandemic. And at one point, she even said that uh, unvaccinated people shouldn't be allowed on planes and there, there are certain aspects of life that they should not have access to. So there's, there, there's an irony here, although I, I don't believe that in any way. I'm, I'm not taking any pleasure in this. I think it's a very worrying sign. Yeah, I'll just before we get to Virginia, I will say that there are those taking pleasure. For instance, the Federalist had this headline. Lena Wen created COVID Karens and they're coming for her. I guess they mean over the the over 600 people signed the petition. But was she canceled, Virginia? You know, she this is this gets to what I think is an interesting um, phenomenon in my own life. When the left comes after you, they uh, it's it's appalling because they can actually get you fired. When the right comes after you, it's appalling because they do dangerous things like make threats on your life. And it sounds like the person who threatened her life, and it must have been a somewhat credible threat because it kept her from going, objected to her presence because she was uh, pro-mask mandates and vaccines. So, I don't know where the the I don't know where the animus toward her is coming from. I know she has this this background at Planned Parenthood. She sounds like an extraordinarily good scientist. Um, and as for looking out for um, ableism and fat phobia, which I think are real things, we can't be all things to all people. And public health requires um, requires some swift. Uh, and sometimes um, not very politic uh, ways of handling situations. And by the when- way, the evidence—the evidence of her fat phobia—it's important <laughs> to point out—was <laughs> that Krispy Kreme was offering a donut to everyone who got vaccinated. Oh yeah, I got and one. She, and she just tweeted, 
you know, while it's nice to have a donut, you shouldn't be eating them every day because they, you know, cause obesity and that can increase your chances of dying if you get COVID. It was something along those lines. Yeah. That's not even fat phobia. That's, that's just nutritional donut information. Donut phobia. <laughs> donut phobia. Well, yeah. I, okay. I, but I don't want to get down to every single one of them. I will, you know, every single one of the criticisms. I, I, I don't know her research in depth and maybe she's, you know, wonderful on all these issues. But I, but it's possible that at some point she was in politic in the name of saving lives. And clearly she was in politic to the right because she created COVID Karens or whatever and, um, mm. and masks and, and vax mandates. Um, so as for cancellation, I think this is, this ended up being the kind of cancellation that often comes from the right, which is people just scare the shit out of you and keep you from appearing in public. It's separate but equal in um, in its sometimes devastating effects than the cancellations that we're more familiar with that happen that happen on the left. So it sounds like she was driven out by the righties while also criticized by the lefties, and um, and I think she did absolutely right to stay out of this conference. Well, I, the petition was signed by over 600, I think mostly students, but I counted 89 professors and a bunch of whoever wants to call themselves allies. But they were all, if you want to have the left-right continuum, they were all of the left. That was, that was the kerfuffle. That was the witch's brew. That, those were the headwinds. And then she cites the threat to life. I'm sure she's thinking something along the lines of, there's already been one guy who was arrested for threatening my life. Who knows where this, who this next person who was arrested uh, was or is uh, I've read articles that, you know, include his name and include a detail about what he said. But but for the people who claim that she's fat phobic and that the fact that she ever said we don't have to wear a mask is killing people. But for that loud, angry petition, she'd be speaking at the conference. No. Well, I don't know. All I can say is she seems she seems to cite this threat, this threat from someone who sees her as having been a COVID Karen. I know at Planned Parenthood, she was seen as insufficiently committed to abortion rights. Um, you know, I, I, I think I depart from some people around COVID in thinking that believe science is um, means almost nothing to me. Believe evidence, maybe, but science and its high priests and priestesses don't deserve any more deference without evidence than anyone in a religious life. Um, and um, to the extent that she was parting company with some people in public health, including people who think about how, say, ableism and fat phobia determine public health, the fact that she was departing from them does not make her, she did not deserve to have this petition circulated. It sounds like it was fairly absurd. She should have been included in the conference. But again, as I, I understand getting death threats from the right, and if she did get this death threat and chose not to not to attend, maybe it was just a question of the straw that broke the camel's back. The lefties don't want you. A righty's going to kill you. Time to stay home. Yeah. So I'll read a couple of statements, and to their credit, the APHA said, Public health has a history of healthy dialogue and disagreement. Finding the common ground in these discussions is how we move the needle forward toward creating healthy people and healthy communities. We value vigorous debate about public health and support a respectful 
fact-based discussion. Good statement. And then the moderator of the session on backlash she was to appear on, Alfredo Morabia, uh, didn't replace Wen, had an empty chair there purposefully to symbolize her and said, I have not replaced Dr. Wen because I did not want to leave any doubts that I was going to have her in the panel. And I disagreed with the campaign that has been waged against her. So I just bring those up to compliment the sentiments, but also to say, well, then was it a cancellation? Maybe I'm getting too technical and in, in the weeds here. I don't think those people should have objected. I don't think the people, the 600 people should have. I, th- I think that there is, is a point of view that I don't credit. I don't credit at all. And also to take the step of saying we demand that she not speak was wrong. But what do you do if there is someone who you feel, you honestly feel, and there are many people in academia, credentialed people who maybe we even have respect for in other areas, who said that, yes, her she was being too blasé. I, I totally disagree. And Jamie, I think you totally disagree. But saying, saying she was being too blasé about opening up. She wasn't taking enough care to think about the most vulnerable amongst us. What kind of expression, if we believe in free expression, should they be, quote unquote, allowed to have where we wouldn't call them cancellation. They should just object, uh, say, I object, but don't demand They can anything. say they object to her opinion. Here's why I disagree with what she has to say, and I'm going to engage with her in a debate, in a collegial scientific debate over the merits of the policies that she's proposing. That's what we used to do in this country uh, until quite recently, and before all of our institutions got swept up in this madness. Do you say I disagree with her invitation, but... I don't call for her to be deplatformed. I think that would that? be fine. I mean, yeah. I you know I've been in a situation myself. We talked about it on this show a couple of weeks ago. I was at a literary festival where Alice Walker, a very prominent vulgar anti-Semite, was also the featured speaker. And I didn't uh, tell the organizers of the literary festival to disinvite her, or I didn't I didn't encourage people in the audience to shout her down. I used my Uh, panel discussion, which was before hers, to criticize her anti-Semitic statements. And I think that's really the best way to go about these sorts of situations when you disagree with someone, no matter how vehemently. Yeah. I mean, I I also think, though, a petition like this from students is also protected speech and doesn't from mostly students. Of course it is. No one's one's disputing that they have a right right to do this. I know. But just because people say they want you deplatformed doesn't like isn't itself, uh, I think, something to balk at or want you not included in something. I mean, disinviting, I mean, you know, you say that things have always been so civil or we had perfect open discussions about things. I mean, just not true. For as long as I can remember, people on, you know, all sides of a question have thrown tomatoes at speakers or metaphorically thrown tomatoes at them or stormed out of their classrooms. I mean, these are what students do and I'm very not glad. Like, not like this. And you can look at the FIRE, fire, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. They keep a, a register of all the attempted cancellations, successful cancellations. And there's been a spike over the past couple of years. I don't have the numbers at my fingertips, but you can go on their website and find out. And they they come from it was both over sides. Two hundred last year. Yeah. Yeah. And it's increasing, and it's been increasing. And this is, you know, I was on. I'm I'm the youngest person on this show, and I was on. A, I was on a college campus more recently than. Uh, you two guys, and it was not like this when I was a college student. It, 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 it simply wasn't. Well, I, um, I, and it's and it's gotten a lot worse. And to see it happen now in the scientific community, these are the people who's you know who, who whom we entrust with our lives mm-hmm. and with our public health. To see them surrendering to this 
you know, extreme ideology, this extremely illiberal ideology is very worrisome. I mean, it's one thing for this kind of crap to be happening in the humanities department of, you know, Antioch College. It's another thing when it's the people, you know, with the lab coats who, who we are entrusting with our lives. Yeah. And it's not just students. Like I said, there are a lot of professors among the hundreds who object. OK, I have not looked into the claims. I probably, unlike you, do think that fat phobia and ableism have an influence on public health. So when when it's when it's a legitimate charge, right? With it, when it's a legitimate charge. And I have not run down all those charges at the same Can time. Can you define to me, fat phobia for me? me what is me, fat? What's fat phobia? That's a great conversation for another time. But to me, because I mean, it seems to me that fat phobia now today, honestly, is just telling people to eat healthy and that being fat is not a healthy way to live. I mean, that to me, that comment okay. would be would be deemed fat phobic and probably get me banned from uh, this conference. As you know, Jamie, fat phobia is an extremely interesting topic, but it's just as difficult to define, you know, in a in a thumbnail as as anti-Semitism is. Um, and but, but don't eat a Krispy Kreme a day, ain't it? <laughs> don't. Well, I can tell you what tripped wires for the, for that crowd in that sentence, which is namely the word obesity. But I'll tell you more about that at another time, which is a scientific term. OK, I'll tell you about it at, the, at another time. But what I do agree with you all on is I, I wouldn't have signed this petition, but I, I don't take a huge amount of umbrage that it was signed. I think if there was a you know, if there had been a petition against Alice, Alice Walker speaking and she's been disinvited from many things, too bad she wasn't disinvited from yours. Um, cause she is a, a nefarious figure, much worse than this woman. Um, I don't think you would have been angry that a petition had been circulated, right. To get her not to speak. Um, it, but so I don't, I don't put a whole lot of stock in the petition. I also, Jamie, you, I haven't heard you respond to the fact that she was getting threats for presumably from the right or from mm. some anti-vax, anti-mask crowd, uh, death threats, which is something that for in all the conversation about cancel culture, I can show you the numbers on the kind of harassment I've got deliberately to gag uh, uh, free speech. Um, and in this case, it worked. Oh, of course, that's the worst. I mean, I don't, I don't even consider that cancel culture. And once you're threatening someone's life, that's a crime, right? So that's in a league all by itself. Um, you know, whether or not that's the reason she actually chose to back out, uh, I don't want to cast aspersions, but I could see her, you know, pointing to that perhaps as opposed to further inflaming the left where she situates herself. I mean, it's, it, it might it might have been you know easier for her to point to that perhaps as, as the reason for doing this. But of course, it's all, it's terrible. And I mean, no one should ever have their life threatened for expressing a, a viewpoint. OK, on to the judgments that we must render. Justice Heffernan, what say you? Was Lena Wen canceled? Was it a fair cancellation? I take her at her word. I think she backed out of a conference on the grounds that people seem to uh, not to want her there. I've, I've, you know, declined invitations thinking, well, it's not a friendly crowd. Um, and also because she got this threat. And skipping one conference uh, and having everything else, you know, still in place, not a cancellation. Did she deserve to have this petition written about her? Absolutely not. Justice Kerchik, what say you? Uh, I concur with everything Virginia said. I, huh, that's interesting. I have taken the totality of the evidence presented here and have come to a different conclusion that this amounts to a cancellation in kind. I do think she was canceled, and I do think that that was unfair. So say us one, so say us all. 
All judgments of cancel court are binding precedent until which time of reconsideration or revelation of bad takes, bad tweets, or punching down. On this date, November 23rd, Anno Domini 2022, it is so ordered. And now the spiel, Ananka Anka Burnin Scorn. I would like to devote some time to an institution that will be referred to this Thanksgiving. It will be anticipated, it will be planned for, it'll be strategized, and quite frankly, it'll be a bit feared. I speak of the uncles. As you know, as I've disclosed on this show, I've been de-uncled. All of my living uncles are no more. But then I became an uncle, leading to a net neutral number of uncles in my life. I'm at what they call unquilibrium. But really, is there any position that is frighted with more apprehension, especially around Thanksgiving, than that of the uncle? Mother Nature Network blog, how to discuss climate change with your uncle during the holidays. Think progress, how to talk to your tea party uncle about Obamacare this Thanksgiving. LA Times, what to do if your crazy right-wing uncle comes for Thanksgiving. And Slate has long run John Dickerson's advice, how to distract your crazy uncle over Thanksgiving dinner. Then, of course, there's this guy. Here with tips on how to cope with your family, drunk uncle. Why has the uncle become the go-to shibboleth of all those who decry rudeness, racism, and any out-of-touch sentiment? No one ever worries about the aunt on Thanksgiving. Poor dear, she's had to deal with uncle for so long. Actually, the aunt has a cultural stereotype, too. She's the one who buys you bad presents. But the uncle slander obtains for a few reasons. One, no one primarily identifies as the uncle. If you're an uncle, you're probably a bunch of other things, too. Son, dad, promise keeper, Reagan Republican, fantasy football aficionado, deer of the month club pioneer, fifth caller to a classic radio station. So you're not going to be raising your hand and saying, actually, Actually, I am an uncle. Two, now this is just math and follow me here, but I think there are fewer uncles than there used to be. They're less potent as a demographic. So the United States population is increasing and yet family size is shrinking. So if you have more people, but fewer people in every family, you have fewer uncles than we used to have. Three, they attract the bulk of the scorn that can go to other family members. It's the flypaper theory of unclehood. So we really know one thing about uncles. Their siblings, your parent. Now that fact alone, just knowing that, you can surmise that your parent and your uncle are probably a lot alike. Same general age cohort, very similar upbringings. Yet why is the uncle so decried, but the parent skates by on all serious criticism? Oh yeah, people talk about dad jokes or mom jeans, but uncles aren't merely out of touch on issues of style. They still use terms like orientals or worse. Boo-boo. Hey Siri, why did a Chinaman steal my job? The question is, why the widespread anti-uncle sentiment, but mom and dad barbs, not nearly as prevalent? Okay, I think the reason for this has a lot to do with psychology. It is easier to dismiss an uncle who's a part-time interloper in your life. Oh, my racist uncle. That scans as not only the name of a great indie band, but just a tossed-off observation. Somebody who's not important to you. But if you say, 
oh, my racist mother, yeah, it'll get a nod of sympathy from the listener, but then the listener will also say to themselves, oh boy, that means therapy. And maybe we notice our racist uncles more than we notice our racist parents. With uncles, it's a smack in the face. With parents, it's a lived experience. Oh, that's just dad. So yeah, it's easier to throw uncles under the bus or any other mode of transportation. I call this the avuncular funicular. But I also think that moms and dads do behave better. First of all, some percent of uncles are childless. No moms and dads are. And the presence of children, I think, makes a person a bit more tolerant. Maybe I'm totally wrong about that, but it's definitely true that the absence of children means that it's less likely that members of a younger generation will have a moderating influence on one's beliefs or expression of said beliefs. Here's another factor. Let's think about the kind of people who criticize the uncle, who trade in the ugly anti-uncle sentiment. These people are progressive. Xenophobia is embarrassing. So something like this. Immigrants. Sure, I guess there is a family where Trump is extremely popular, where the definition of the embarrassing uncle is some guy who's always blathering on about a $15 minimum wage or getting in his cups and decrying the loss of the rainforest. But mostly uncles are seen as ugly when their statements trend toward the conservative. And the people who decry ugly uncles are, we established, progressive. So you got progressives disagreeing with conservatives. And the reason that it's truer for uncles than for parents is that we're more likely to share our parents' political beliefs. If we, the uncle bashers, are progressive, it's quite likely that our parents are progressive, much less likely that our uncles are progressive. My motivation in talking about this whole thing goes way beyond arguing out of self-interest as an uncle. Because I think that if you look at the rise of Trump, the fear of Syrian orphans, the general xenophobia, we are becoming, if not a nation of uncles, then at least half a nation of uncles. In America, we don't have red states and blue states. We have uncle states and aunt states. We've got an uncle party and an aunt party. Our uncle's angry. Our aunt, she's sympathetic, but a little out of touch. She still thinks you want a Pink Floyd box set or a jumpsuit or a no vote on every trade agreement. I don't know. Maybe that's not even the problem. Maybe it's just a brilliant insight gleaned from analysis, number crunching, and three or four bush mills. Can't believe I'm saying this, uh, drunk uncle. I think you might be too drunk. I am not too drunk, but I am, and I say this proudly, exactly enough uncle. And that's it for today's show. The best of the week. The best of Not Even Mad. Corey Wara produces The Gist. And Joel Patterson is the senior producer of The Gist and the only producer of Not Even Mad. I will talk to you on Monday.